Hey guys, thank you for watching online all over the world. We are honored that you would watch LifePoint Church Services. Our mission statement around here is pointing people to a Christ-centered life, and we want to hear how that's happening through these sermons. So we would love for you to reach out to us through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and tell us how God is moving in your life. Also, if you're a part of this service, but, but you're not close to a local campus, we want to help you get connected to a local body. Please reach out to us, and we will recommend some great churches in your area for you to be a part of. Again, thank you for being a part of LifePoint Church Online, and we hope God blesses you. All right, if you've got your Bibles or devices, we're in John 4. Uh, we're finishing up, wrapping up John 4. We're in a series called Jesus because we're super creative. We're like, what should we call this thing? I've got it. <laughs> and so, but now reality, the, the whole gospel is about the life of Christ. And so uh, we, it's kind of like, keep it simple, stupid, right? So we just named it Jesus. And uh, really we've been walking through kind of the, the life, the birth, the, like di different things about uh, Jesus. And so uh, that's where we are as we wrap up chapter four. And uh, we get, we're, it's gonna be a, a unique kind of view uh, into the teaching of Christ today. Um, Many of you have probably heard of what is considered uh, like a foxhole conversion. Essentially, uh, you know, you've heard of this in wars and battles. Like you have a guy who is in, in the middle of the, of the war, in the middle of the firefight, right? And there's bullets flying everywhere. There's mortars exploding near him. And, you know, there might be someone in his foxhole that, 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 that is taken out or whatever. And he, he throws up this prayer of desperation to the Lord, right? Where he says, God, if you will get me out of this. I will love you and serve you the rest of my life. Uh, and and, and we, we've seen that. We've, we, we've seen that. Maybe some of you have experienced that. Maybe you've got family members who've experienced that. We've, we've seen that portrayed in films and different things like that. Uh, but the real test of the man's faith is not what happens in the heat of that moment. The real test of his faith is what he does when everything's kind of calmed down when he's gone from foxhole to lazy boy, when God has answered his prayer and gotten him out of there safely, and, and, and then we see what is the measure of his faith in, in Christ. Did it, did, did it just get kind of welled up in the midst of a crisis, or is it a full life of surrender unto Jesus, one that led to salvation truly, not just uh, immediate help and need, but truly uh, a life and heart transformation. Uh, you know, the reality is we've all been there. Now, we might not have ever been in a foxhole and had bullets flying around our head, but we've all been in situations to where we were in, in some kind of desperate need, and the only one who could help us was God. And so we cry out to God, we ask him to move. That, 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 that comes in all shapes and sizes. Maybe you found yourself in some kind of relational crisis. Maybe your marriage was on the rocks or you, <coughs> you didn't know uh, how you were gonna make it uh, through your marriage and, and, and that you were gonna last. And so you cry out to God to come and work and move. Maybe it was a financial crisis, right? You, you, you had more month than money and you didn't know how God was going to make ends meet and you cry out to him, God, come, move. We need you. We, we need you to help us. Whatever it is, we've all kind of been in, in those situations. You know, maybe it's health uh, and you're crying, you know, you've done everything you know to do, but, you, you know, but you're crying out to the Lord. You just find yourself in this 
prayer of desperation, right? And, and uh, I think we're going to see from our text today that whatever the situation of crisis is, that God doesn't just want you to follow him in the midst of a crisis. He wants you to follow him uh, at, at all times of your life, that he wants to move. And we're going to see through the text today, he wants to move our faith from a superficial faith, from, from one that's just like a spectator and crying out just in times of need to a faith that is a life of complete and full surrender and trust in him. And so that's kind of what we're going to see in, in our text today. And uh, what we're going to see is <coughs> Jesus is coming upon a soldier and uh, uh, whose son is about to die. And he's in a desperate situation. He's crying out to Jesus to come and heal his, heal his son. And, 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 and what Jesus is going to do is how he navigates this whole situation is he's going to take his faith from this foxhole faith, this crying out in a desperate situation to a faith that is a life and a family that surrenders to Christ holistically. And so we're going to see that. So let's dive in. Uh, verse 43 of John chapter 4. And we're going to see us move from spectator faith to surrender. Uh, I'm going to read 43 through 45 and then stop for a minute. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. Just time out. Remember, he just uh, w went through Samaria, woman at the well. And so that's, that's where he's coming from. We'll reference that again later. But so just so all the scriptures, he's coming from Samaria back up into Galilee. Uh, and so after two days, he departed for Galilee for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown, which was the Galilee area. Um, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too have gone, had gone to the feast. Now, a couple things here. Immediate read, you're like, what? Because first verse, it's like a prophet is without honor in his hometown. Jesus is going kind of to his hometown. And then the Galileans welcomed him. Okay, so it's like, why that? What's up with that verse? John is writing... Um, there's uh, several things to the context of this, this passage, but he's wanting us to understand that uh, the Galileans are welcoming him, but not in a place of honor as a prophet or as the savior of the world is to be honored as Lord and savior, but they're welcoming him as the one who does tricks, the one who can heal our diseases, the one who can feed us food, the one who's done these miracles. And so uh, John references, you know, he says, even a prophet is out without honor in his hometown, but his hometown welcomed him because they saw what he did in Jerusalem at the feast where he did many signs and wonders. And they saw, and we'll see in, later in the passage, they saw what he did at the wedding in Cana where he turned water to wine. And so they are welcoming him because they want some of that. They're not about personal surrender. They're about personal gain. And so they're like, yes, we want some more tricks from you, magician Jesus. We want some more of that. Come and bring all your, you know, signs and wonders. We, we want more of that. And so they welcomed him with this kind of superficial uh, faith that wasn't really deep. And if, if Jesus would have called them to die to themselves or to take up their cross and follow him, they would have been out. They were in it for what he could do for them. And so they welcomed him in, come. And, and so John is using irony to kind of expose the superficial faith of the Galileans. 
He's, he's using this irony to expose them um, and, and, and show us, really, the readers, the difference between a faith that is deep and true and lasting on the mundane Monday mornings as much as it is when life is kind of spinning on its head and we don't, we, we, we don't know which way is up. And so he's exposing superficial faith for genuine, authentic surrender to Christ. Okay, so let's read what happens here. Uh, 46 through 50. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water to wine. And at Capernaum, there was a fish, an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Okay, a lot going on here. Uh, let's talk about the, the official for a minute. He's probably a Gentile centurion guard of, of King Herod's army. King Herod is the one, remember, responsible for uh, beheading John the Baptist, so one of Jesus' best bros, right? And then, and then uh, res- the one later responsible for, uh, they, they brought Jesus to him uh, to to. For crucifixion, he sent him back to Pilate. He said, I don't want any of that issue. And so here's a, a, an official of King Herod's uh, guard, right? And so he's coming uh, to, to Jesus as a man with power, uh, probably great wealth, authority. And uh, he, he's, he's coming as a, uh, even though he's got all of those things, all this influence, all this power, all this wealth, he's coming a, a, as a desperate man. You, you know, as any good parent would do, if you're, your child is about to die. It wouldn't matter. You would, you would leverage all of your influence, all of your power, all of your wealth to see your child get the help he needs or she needs. You would exhaust it all so that they could be well again. Right? And so you, you, you can just imagine that this centurion has tried all of that. He's gone to doctors and tried medicines and and nothing has worked. His son is still laid up about to die. And so he does the only thing he knows to do, and that's to turn to God. And so in desperation, he walks from Capernaum to Cana, which is about 15 to 20 miles that he tracks to find Jesus. So he's desperate for Jesus to, to heal his son. He's heard about Jesus. He's heard what he can do. And, and, and he is going to Christ. Now, this is us so often in that we oftentimes, and I say we in, in reality, myself included, oftentimes don't go to Jesus with things until it's at that point. Until it's at desperation point. It's, 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 at, it's at, you know, stage crisis level, right? It's like marriages. I counsel marriages and people will come in and, and, and talk about marriages. But oftentimes they won't come in and begin to seek out the help from the Lord or from biblical counseling until there's already papers filed. And they're like, I just need somebody to help me. Talk her, talk him out of this. 
crisis moment of desperation or or we don't start plugging our kids into the discipleship and knowing the Bible or into the church until it's really too late for a lot of them until they're you know found in the back of an El Camino with a new PCB tattoo right and then we're like we gotta what are we gonna do we gotta get our kids fixed we don't turn to Jesus until this is moment of desperation we do that just like the centurion here. We, we do that, right? And here he is. He, he's got no other options. He, he treks 20 miles to find Christ. And he's seeking him for this supernatural miracle that he needs Jesus to do. He's, he's seeking him for what he can get out of Jesus. And then look what Jesus does. He says, basically, he says, you're only following me for what I can do. You're only following me for signs and wonders. And so here's this man coming with a desperate situation, as any of us would be if our sons were about to die. He's desperate, and Jesus rebukes him. Seems harsh, right? Where's the grace and mercy I've heard of? (laughs) He rebukes him. And he's not just rebuking him. Really, he's rebuking everyone who's in attendance there that day. He's saying, you are just following me for signs and wonders. Your faith is superficial. You're just in this for what you can get out of it. And you don't want me at all. And so he, he, he's rebuking them and, 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 and calling them to be, he's saying to them, I'm not just here for your spectator interests. I'm here to be your savior. I'm not just here to do tricks for you. I'm here to be Lord of your lives. And so he, re, he rebukes them. And, and just as an encouragement to us, as you sit under preaching or when you read the Bible or you have friends that speak truth into your life and you feel that rebuke on, on you, Jesus never rebukes us to hurt us. He always rebukes us to heal us. So when we come under conviction, under a sermon or under the word uh, uh, that we read or preach or whatever, saying whatever, That rebuke is always meant to heal, not hurt. And so he's rebuking so that they'll have a greater need filled for them than just a temporary need. He's he's helping them kind of expand their view of what Jesus is capable of. He's telling them, you want me just for the temporary earthly right now, but you don't even know that you've got a greater need. It's a spiritual eternal need, and that need is far heavier on you than this temporal need is. And I'm bigger than what I can do right here in the temporary. I'm an eternal, lasting Lord. And, and, and to be worshipped and, and honored as such. And so he's rebuking them uh, in that way. And the centurion, I, I love his response. I mean, you know, essentially he didn't try to, he didn't try to pull rank on Jesus. Right? He's like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm important. You're supposed to do this for important people. He doesn't. He doesn't even try to buy Jesus off. He's, he, he doesn't offer him money. He just says, please, come, come see, see my son. Please come see my son. You know, we um, oftentimes in our, you know, American Christianity culture, Bible Belt, fading quickly, but Bible Belt Christian culture, uh, oftentimes treat God as Aladdin's lamp. 
You know, we, we want the genie in a bottle and the genie in this lamp. And when we need him, we pull him off the shelf and we, we, we get him out of his lamp and we say, hey, God, we need you to show up now and, and we need you to work because without you, this is not going to happen or we're not going to be able to get these bills paid, our marriage, our kids, our job, our spouse, or whatever. We're not, we're not going to be able to get that. So we need you to show up and, and do this thing. And then God does something or he moves you from that and then you're done with him and you put him back on the shelf. And, and go on with life without him. I think the message that Jesus is saying to this crowd and as he would say to our Christian culture, what's, what, what, what we hold up in it is, I'm, I'm, not just a gen, I'm not a genie in a bottle. I'm not, I'm not here as your butler. I'm so much more than what I can do in your temporary lives. I'm going to be held with honor and worship and relationship and trust and love. I'm to be in your life on mundane Monday morning when life is okay and life is going good and kids are healthy and marriage is good and finances are okay. That I want to be the king on the throne of your hearts. Not just in when you're dialing 911. I want to be Lord of your life always. Imagine as a parent, you have a son that only came to you when he wanted something. You're like, I know that. <laughs> well, imagine he comes to you and he says, hey, dad, I, I need money and I need the keys of the car. And that's the only conversations you've ever had with him. What would you say? No, you ain't get the keys of the car. Go back to your room. <laughs> Play your Xbox, whatever. But what if your son and you had a great relationship and you loved one another and your son loved you and, uh, and said, you know, and that's what happens when you have trust and love and relationship that, that, is, that happens with communication and, and, and communion with one another. But your son comes to you and he says to you, Dad, I love you. And I love this. I love your influence in my life and you, you, you walking in, in my life and loving me. That's evident to me. I love you. Your great father. What would you do? All right, son, here's the keys. <laughs> right? Some of you young men, you're like, I'm going to use that. <laughs> no, you, you do that. I love how much more this see we treat God oftentimes more so as the first son that just comes in and says hey I need money I need the keys of the car how much more of a relationship and trust and communion does God want from us that we walk with him daily we say to him God I love this I love what uh, our relationship I love the trust that you're welling up in me and I love what you've done for me on the cross and I, and I love what where we're going with eternity uh, and I just love being a child of God do you not think he'll answer your needs do you not think he'll provide for you and take care of you do you not think he's a good father that gives good gifts to his children? No, this is the kind of trust and communion and faith that God wants to build up, build up in his people. 
one that's trusting him always and walking in relationship with our Father, one that's, you know, stepping in and pressing into all that he has for us. Because he's a good father, he wants to pour out on, on, his, on his children. Now, the officer here, um, Jesus puts the officer in a weird situation uh, because he thought, the officer thought Jesus had to come back to Capernaum with him, right? He's like, okay, Jesus, I need you to come back. But, and, and I think a word here is, can be said about how we oftentimes bring to Jesus some preconceived notions about how he's supposed to work, right? We come to God and we say, God, you need to fix my marriage by fixing my wife. And oftentimes it's you that gets broken and that's the way he fixes your marriage is you're the one that's prideful and doing the things you shouldn't be doing. So he moves in your marriage, but he changes you first or your finances. God, you get to show up or this, you know, or this is not going to work. And he, he moves and works and he changes. You didn't expect it to happen this way, but he changes job situations or locate, whatever. And he works in a completely different way than you thought he would work or that you even prayed for him to work. But he still works. That's what's happening here, right? He, he, you know, he, he puts this man in a curious situation because he says, hey, come with me. And he tells, Jesus says, no, <laughs> I'm not. I got things to do. But go, your son lives. There's two options here for the centurion, Right? It's two options. He can either say, um, no, 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 I really need you to come. You, you don't understand. Like, you have to come with me and come back and heal my son. Or he trusts the one that he was so desperate to find in the first place. Trusts him fully that when Jesus says, go, your son lives, that he goes back home trusting his son had been healed. Now, remember, it's not, there's not cell phones. There's not quick text from mama saying, yay, son's better. Exclamation points. <laughs> he didn't have news that his son had been healed yet. So he trusted the word of God, and he headed back home. It's a powerful testimony of taking Jesus at his word. Jesus answered the man's desires to heal his son, but he didn't do it the way he thought he would do it. And so here's a man having to depend upon the word of Jesus in a way he didn't expect and to walk home to see if his son had been, had been healed or not. Uh, I, want you to, I want to read a quote to you. This is J.C. Ryle, uh, another dead guy, old dead pastor. They're the best. I, I say that every week, but <clears throat> this is actually my favorite author. He wrote a book uh, called Holiness, which is, a, I think, a must-read for any believer if you're looking for the next book. He says this, what Christ has said he is able to do and what he has undertaken, he will never fail to make good. The sinner who has reposed his soul on the word of the Lord Jesus is safe to all eternity. And then listen to this. In the things of this world, we say seeing is believing, but in the things of the gospel, Believing is as good as seeing. Here's a centurion guard having to walk back, believing without seeing. Trusting that Jesus is good. And what he says is true. Trusting on the word of Jesus. 
I love, I love this whole story because what it's in, in essence saying to us is that the word of Jesus is as good as his presence. See, a lot of times, especially in our, we're so accustomed to Christianity that we, we, we don't think God's going to show up unless his presence is there. But we don't realize, what we don't realize is that he has given us his word. Right? He's given us his word, and this is the primary way in which he communicates to believers. Is the primary way in which the children of God come and hear a word from him about our lives and how to live our lives and how to worship him and how to live out lives that are, on, on, are living sent for the gospel. That he has given us this word. But you know what most of us do is that we have it on mute. And so to believe that his word is as good as his presence, how often do we pray for his presence, but our Bibles are just stuck in a corner somewhere? And, I, you know, when we get them out, we, every now and then we, okay, got to go to church. I think he wants a deeper trust from his children that we will hear his word and believe his word. And then we'll go like the centurion and say, all right, yeah, if he said it, I believe it. If he said it, it must be true. So that's why the importance of him communing with us through his word, this is vital to the believer. How do you expect to be godly people without hearing from God? It doesn't happen miraculously. It's not going to happen accidentally. It happens by you coming into communion and relationship and communication with the Father. And so you hear the word of God and you believe the word of God and you, you, you trust him. That's what he wants from us as his children, to further trust in, in who he is, right? So, so, so his word is as good as his presence is important to us. Now, uh, let's, let's wrap up this passage and then I'll close with some thoughts. 51, verse 51. <coughs> Excuse me. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour. When, now, now, I'm going to give you some words to focus on here because we're going to deal with them in a minute, okay? So as he asked them the hour when he began, began, I want the word began, as he began to get better, uh, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Now, that's an important word, too, left him. And we'll talk about that, okay? The fever left him. So the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all of his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Okay, so the, the next day, the, the centurion is going home. All kind of thoughts going in his head, right? Like, is my son okay? Is he dead? Did I make this? Was this a wasted trip? Did this, what, what's going on? He doesn't know. He doesn't have information. And he's walking and all of a sudden he sees his servants coming back towards him. And can you imagine? Oh, what's the news? Is it good news? Is it bad news? Is my son alive or dead? My servants probably wouldn't come to me unless it was one or the other. He's either, it's one extreme or the other. They're not going to come to me to say he's still sick. They're going to come to me and say he's either better or he's dead. And, and the servants get to him, and it's not bad news. It's, it's good news, right? And, and can you imagine the celebration at that point? He's, he's probably pumped. He's out of his mind, excited. He's probably doing a, you know, the holy helicopter or a Jewish jig or something like that. He's getting after it. And, uh, 
And, and, and so he, he's excited. And then, then he begins to recall, okay, oh, uh, when did my son begin to get better? Now, the word began there in the text uh, uh, be, in, in thinking is a, a process of getting better, right? So he's thinking, okay, maybe the fever was 105 and, and, and you know, he took some children's Tylenol and it started to notch down a little bit, right? And the cough began to leave him or he began to get a little better. Like he began to get better at a particular time. And his servant said, no, 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 he didn't begin to get better. Matter of fact, at the seventh hour, which was 1 p.m., uh, one o'clock in the afternoon, he, the fever left him. Now this word left is the same word used earlier in John 4 with the story of the woman at the well when she left her pot of water and went running into town. So it's an immediate, the fever left him immediately. It, it completely vanished from him. So A, can you imagine being the family that is with the son? You're the mom, you're the servants around, him, you're taking care of him. And then all of a sudden, like 12 o'clock hits and he's still about to die. He's not getting any better. It's not looking hopeful. 1230 hits. Oh, this is not, this is not good. I mean, get, get cold rags. Somebody get in here and help him. He's not, he's still got a high favor. We can't, can't do anything about this. There's, and then one o'clock hits and the boy jumps up and says, Hey, y'all, how you doing? Starts moving around as if he never had a fever to begin with. Can you imagine being the mother at that point? Yes, you're, you're excited, but you're like, what just happened? How did this happen? There was no hope for him. Like we had tried the doctors. We had tried the medicine. We were basically buying days. And he springs up to life. And so the, the, the centurion coming back and asking the guards, and they said that his fever left him at one. And they, he said, that's exactly when Jesus said, my son is going to be healed. The word of Jesus is true. The word of Jesus is right. It, it, it is absolutely have, has power and life in it. So joy. Excitement, celebration coming from all of the household. And it says that the whole household, the entire household was saved. He brought this centurion who had a foxhole faith, superficial, just needing a miracle, into a deeper faith, one that caused him to surrender his life and the entire house, his entire household surrender to faith in Jesus. They were moved by God's doing a work that it, it converted them. They turned to Christ and they, the whole household was saved. There's a couple of thoughts I have about this. Uh, one is, you know, God doesn't often answer our prayers that immediately. Don't you wish he did? Lord, million bucks, whatever. Lord, heal. Lord, fix my marriage. Lord, my kids. We often wish he'd answer immediately, but he often delays. But here's what we know from the Bible to be true for the believer, that he works for the good of those who love him. Let me be clear. Scripture does not say he works everything uh, 
everything good in their lives for the good of those who love him. No, he said he works all things for good, even the junk of our life, even the bad situations, even the crisis situations, even the health situations or the financial situations or the relational situations. He works all things to the good of those who love him who have surrendered their life to him, who don't just have a superficial faith, but they have a deep faith and trust. They are children of God. He works all things together for their good. So his delay, when he delays, or maybe when he answers no, we still trust that it's for our good, that he's a good father, and he, he, he takes care of us uh, in every situation. And the other thought I have on this is, the response of the centurion. Uh, we, we see an example of genuine faith. Genuine faith does not just impact you. It impacts everyone around you. This is why at LifePoint we say we're, we exist basically to help people find life and live sin. And so here's a man who just found life and immediately living sin. His whole household comes to faith in Christ. And we see genuine faith can't just be secluded to our own little worlds. Okay, I'm a Christian as long as I, hey, I'm a Christian. No, it's a faith that is lived out. And, and, and then one of the things I'm processing here is that one of the greatest evidences that you believe in Jesus, that your faith is not superficial, that you've surrendered uh, to the Lord holistically, is that the greatest thing you want for your kids is Jesus. One of the, one of the signs that you know Jesus and you've come to faith in him and, and, and you are his and he is yours is that the greatest thing you want for your kids is the greatest thing they can have. And that's namely a relationship with Christ. And so you will stop at nothing to make sure they know Jesus. And so Jesus is moving this entire community from this superficial faith to really trust him, trusting him. And this trust is a daily occurrence. It's, it's not just in crisis situations. It's a, it's a daily thing, and not just when life is falling apart. It's a daily thing. He needs moving us from the superficial spectator faith to a genuine, authentic faith that, that transcends crisis to the everyday that we trust in him. We walk every day by him. Every moment is meaningful for the kingdom. E even when we're bored at work, is meaningful for the kingdom. We begin to step into, God, how are you moving in me, changing me, working in me, even in the things that we don't, we can't really see him working, right? And so we, we if I were to do a, a spirit, you know, it's tax time, right? I'm praying none of you get audited, but imagine someone gets a spiritual audit on your life. Would they be able to tell that you're a believer? Would they be able to tell that you trust and commune and have communication with, relationship with God? Or are you just living as a practical atheist? Like church is a thing you do on Sunday morning. It really doesn't have any impact the rest of the days of the week. I'm afraid that, especially in our culture where, uh, you know, we can, we can walk into church still. That day's fading quickly, but we can walk into church and appease guilt or do different things. And really, it's just about the morning time, Sunday morning, we're making our parents happy or we're doing whatever. And really, our days are lived as practical atheists. Now, how, what are some signs that we can look at our lives to see if the, if, what the audit would show? Well, do you, again, 
Are you spending time in communion with God? Communication with God. Do you read your Bibles? Pray fast. Like, does your heart, is your heart changing? Every believer should be growing more and more in sanctification. Like, there is no middle ground. There is no just plateauing. You're either dying spiritually or you're growing in godliness. There, there is no middle. And so what is your heart? Are you growing in Christ? Are you growing in the Lord? Like, do, do the things that God loves, do you get excited about those? Do the things that he despised, do, do, does those things rise up in you to get them out of your own life? Like the spiritual audit on your heart and life, what would it show? Like when is the last time that you were overwhelmed just by the sense that you are saved? Like the song we sang, right? Uh, one of my favorite lines in that is um, the, me, talking about me. The vilest of our, all sinners now forgiven and redeemed. Just thinking about that. Where I was, who I was, where I was destined to go. I didn't want God. I hated God. I was a rebel against God. The vilest of all sinners. Now forgiven and redeemed. The thought of our salvation and what it took to save us should move the children of God to worship and awe and, and just being overwhelmed with joy at the, at the grace and the mercy poured out upon us, though we didn't deserve it. So Jesus is saying, my children, if you are a child of God, it's not just the superficial, shallow, spectator faith. It's do you trust holistically with your life, with every aspect of your life? Are you living beyond the today? Are you just praying prayers that would say, God, I need you in this situation, and I need you here, I need you midweek, I got this meeting, and I got this coming up this week, and we got this with the kids, Paul with his kids, we got to get this, and all these, like, if I could put all of your prayer, um, the ends of your prayer on a calendar, I think that's a superficial faith. Or are you praying, God, help my life have eternal weight. Help me live for something that matters. Help me when I stand before you, you speak over me. Well done, good and faithful servant. God, help my prayer life and my communication with you. Help me make a difference in souls for eternity. Help me, God, go to the ball field on mission for the sake of, of Christ. I think he's wanting to move us as a church from this superficial, temporary-minded to more eternal-minded, to a full surrender of our lives, and to say, God, use us, use our church for kingdom and eternal impact. Let's pray together. We love you, Jesus, and we need you because so often we drift back into uh, a faith that is uh, short-sighted. Short Help us to continue to see with kingdom eyes, spiritual eyes, Father. We want our lives to not just be lives that seek you out when we need something, but we want to worship you for who you are that you are Lord, that you are sovereign, you are King of kings. 
that we just don't want heaven because it keeps us out of hell. We don't want heaven because we got this idealistic uh, mentality of what all we get with heaven, but we want to be in heaven because that's where you are and that's where you will be for forever. And we want you more. We want your presence and your face and your word more than we want your blessing. We want relationship and trust and communication and communion with our great God. So would you move us, Father, from short-sighted, temporary, superficial faith to really living for the kingdom? Move in us, Father. Move in us we wouldn't find ourselves like the Galileans just looking for you to always be doing something but we love you for who you are what you've already done but really for who you are that you are Lord that alone demands our praise and worship you are Savior that alone demands our love and we would press into you Father I pray you would work in hearts and deepen our faith Maybe not how we expected it to happen, but continue to deepen our faith in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.